All right, welcome to the Through the Psalms podcast. Well, on September 7th, 1774, in the First Continental Congress, the Reverend Jacob Duchesne, rector of Christ Church in Philadelphia, read Psalm 35 from the Book of Common Prayer and then prayed a prayer that Silas Dean said was worth writing 100 miles to hear and that made even Quakers shed tears. The motion to start the Continental Congress in prayer was made by Mr. Thomas Cushing of Massachusetts, but was opposed by John Jay of New York and John Rutledge of South Carolina because he thought, or they thought, that the Congress were so divided in their religious sentiments that prayer would be impossible. But Samuel Adams, a Congregationalist and Puritan, stood up and suggested the Episcopalian from the Church of England, Jacob Duchesne, deliver the opening prayer. And the rest, they say, is history. Well, I wanted to read that prayer that uh, Reverend Duchesne read after he read Psalm 35. And then I wanted to read to you a letter that John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, about that prayer. So let's start with uh, Reverend Duchesne's prayer. Uh, this, again, is in the Continental Congress on September 7th, 1774. It begins, O Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, who dost from thy throne behold all the dwellers on earth and reignest with power supreme and uncontrolled over all the kingdoms, empires, and governments. Look down in mercy, we beseech thee, on these our American states, who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection, desiring to be henceforth dependent only on thee. To thee have they appealed for the righteousness of their cause. To thee do they now look up for that countenance and support which thou alone canst give. Take them, therefore, Heavenly Father, under thy nurturing care. Give them wisdom and counsel and valor in the field. Defeat the malicious designs of our cruel adversaries. Convince them of the unrighteousness of their cause. And if they persist in their sanguinary purposes of own unerring justice, sounding in their hearts, constrain them to drop the weapons of war from their unnerved hands in the day of battle. Be thou present, O God of wisdom, and direct the counsels of this honorable assembly. Enable them to settle things on the best and surest foundation, that the scene of blood may be speedily closed, that order, harmony, and peace may be effectually restored, and truth and justice, religion and piety, prevail and flourish amongst the people. Preserve the health of their bodies and vigor of their minds. Shower down on them and the millions they here represent such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world, and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son and our Savior. Amen. Well, that was quite a prayer, and you could see why the people present there at the meeting were moved by it. And so now I want to read to you a letter again from John Adams to Abigail Adams dated the 16th of September, 1774. So not long after this prayer was made. And uh, he's writing to Abigail to tell him about this prayer and how much it moved him. 
He says, having a leisure moment while the Congress is assembling, I gladly embrace it uh, to write you a line. When the Congress first met, Mr. Cushing made a motion that it should be opened with prayer. It was opposed by Mr. Jay of New York and Mr. Rutledge of South Carolina because we were so divided in religious sentiments, some Episcopalians, some Quakers, some Anabaptists, some Presbyterians, and some Congregationalists, so that we could not join in the same act of worship. Mr. Sam Adams arose and said he was no bigot and could hear a prayer from a gentleman of piety and virtue, who was at the same time a friend to his country. He was a stranger in Philadelphia, but had heard that Mr. Duche deserved that character, and therefore he moved that Mr. Duche, an Episcopal clergyman, might be desired to read prayers to the Congress tomorrow morning. The motion was seconded, seconded and passed in the affirmative. Mr. Randolph, our president, waited on Mr. Duche and received for answer that if his health would permit, he certainly would. Accordingly, next morning, he appeared with his clerk and in his pontificalibus and read several prayers in the established form and then read the collect for the seventh day of September, which was the 35th Psalm. You must remember this was the next morning after we heard the horrible rumor of the cannonade of Boston. I never saw a greater effect upon an audience. It seemed as if heaven had had ordained that psalm to be read on that morning. After this, Mr. Duche, unexpected to everybody, struck out into an extemporary prayer, which filled the bosom of every man present. I must confess, I never heard a better prayer or one so well pronounced. Episcopalian as he is, Dr. Cooper himself never prayed with such fervor, such ardor, such earnestness and pathos, and in language so elegant, elegant and sublime, for America, for the Congress, for the province of Massachusetts Bay, and especially the town of Boston. It has had an excellent effect upon everybody here. I must beg you to read that psalm. He goes on to say, It will assume, it will amuse your friends to read this letter and the 35th psalm to them. Read it to your father and Mr. Wybert. I wonder what our Braintree churchmen would think of this. Mr. Duche is one of the most ingenious men and best characters and greatest orators in the Episcopal order upon this continent, yet a zealous friend of liberty and his country. I long to see my dear family. God bless, preserve, and prosper. Adieu, John Adams. Okay, so I thought it would be appropriate to read all of that uh, since we're going to be talking about Psalm 35 today and just to know a little bit of the history of our country. And I just thought it was also very timely um, that prayer could be prayed today uh, as we face many enemies, uh, uh, many persecutors of Christians, and and we face uh, difficult times in these days. So I just thought it was a very appropriate thing to read. But let's go ahead and talk about uh, Psalm 35. Psalm 35 is classified as an imprecatory psalm, and that means that it's a prayer against one's enemies, a prayer for God to deliver uh, one from his enemies and to punish one's enemies. Uh, you'll see in this psalm that David prays that God would 
you know, pursue his enemies and punish them. Uh, and sometimes these imprecatory psalms can sound harsh to us in our modern day. But you have to put yourself in David's shoes and remember that he his life was in danger and he was being persecuted and pursued by his enemies and they were trying to kill him. So these were not nice people that were after him. Uh, the King James Study Bible also classifies this not only as an imprecatory psalm but also as a lament psalm. Uh, again, this is a psalm of David, and it was probably written when he was fleeing uh, Saul, uh, maybe uh, in 1 Samuel 24, uh, you know, when Saul was trying to uh, kill David and pursue him, and and David, you know, there was a moment where Saul went into a cave, and, and David could have killed Saul, but he spared Saul's life, and so we don't know for sure exactly when this was written, but perhaps it was during that time. Uh, the King James Study Bible, uh, the outline it gives for this um, particular psalm is uh, three parts. It says verse 1 through 10, a petition for deliverance. Uh, verses 11 through 18, an expression of lament. And then verses 19 through 28, a renewed petition. So with all that as background, let's go ahead and read Psalm 35. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be a shaft before the wind, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For without cause have they hid for me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him at unawares, and let his net that he hath hid catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which delivereth the poor from him that is too strong for him? Yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in mine adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and cease not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink the eye that hate me without a cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye hath seen it. This thou hast seen, O Lord, keep not silence. 
O Lord, be not far from me. Stir up thyself and awake to my judgment, even unto my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to thy righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, so so would we have it. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Okay, so when we look at verse 1, the King James says, Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. The, uh, the NIV, that first verse, says, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. So David is asking God to literally fight those who are fighting him, uh, to contend with them. So he's asking help from heaven uh, to fight against these enemies that he's facing. His life is in danger, and he is being pursued by cruel and malicious people. And so when we understand that, and we put ourselves in David's shoes, we can kind of understand the harshness of the language and why he's praying these things. Verse 2 and 3 mention military items uh, talks about shield and buckler and spear. Uh, a buckler is a small shield. And so he's uh, using military terminology here. Uh, this is a real battle, a real fight. Um, this isn't, uh, you know, make-believe. This is uh, reality for David. His life is in danger, and he's asking God for uh, deliverance and help uh, against those who persecute him. Um, he mentions the word persecute in verse 3. So he is really enduring uh, persecution here. And um, we know in our world today that many Christians are persecuted, uh, especially in other countries. You have Christians jailed, um, tortured, and killed for their faith. And so that's a reality for uh, many Christians in the world today. And even in our own country, we're starting to see an increase in persecution where Christians are silenced sometimes fined or even jailed for their faith. And so we're starting to see that even here in America, which uh, once would probably be uh, unheard of. And so uh, we need to remember that um, the Bible says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so um, persecution is a reality in this world. And uh, David was no stranger to it. Um, I wanted to read what Warren Worsby says about this psalm uh, because I thought it was pretty good. He says, Like David, you need God's deliverance from two different enemies, those who attack you. There are places in this world where it is dangerous, a dangerous thing to be a Christian, and their number may increase. After all, Satan is a murderer and would destroy all of God's people if he could. But the Lord fights for us. He has effective weapons and knows the enemy's plots. If you belong to the Lord, he is responsible to care for you. 
And then also those who accuse you. Satan is an accuser as well as a murderer. So David had to move from the battlefield to the courtroom where his enemies were lying about him. His prayer changed from fight for me to vindicate me. But his concern was that God's name, not his own, be magnified. When the enemy slanders your name, he attacks the name of the Lord as well. Note the results, and my soul shall be joyful, and my tongue shall speak of your righteousness. Joy on the inside and witness on the outside. So Wordsby here talks about how Satan attacks us because Satan is a murderer, but he's also called the accuser. So he uh, attacks us with words and, and false accusations. And, and this psalm has both of those things. All right, let's look at verse 4. He, David prays, let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. So again, he's praying this imprecatory prayer against his enemies and asking that they would be put to shame and brought to dishonor um, and turned back and brought to confusion. Uh, in verse 5, he says, let them be as shaft before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Uh, chaff, I think we talked about this before, is the husk of the grains that are separated during threshing. It's the part that's not really good for anything but to be discarded. So he's saying, let them be as that shaft that's just meant to be discarded uh, in the wind. And then let the angel of the Lord chase them or pursue them. Uh, and so he's asking God again for help against his enemies here. Verse 6, he says, Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord persecute them or pursue them. Um, and so, you know, praying that they would fall, praying that they would slip and that they would be pursued. Uh, verse 7, uh, For without cause have they hid from me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. So David's saying they've done all these bad things to him for no reason. There's no legitimate cause for them to do this. Uh, David is saying that he's innocent and that these people are persecuting him for no reason at all. There's no cause for this. And he talks about the net that they have hid for him, and then he prays that they would fall into that same net uh, that they have laid for him. In other words, let their own devices catch them. You know, it talks about this in Proverbs too, that if you uh, dig a hole for some, someone, that you may fall into that hole yourself and things like that. And so uh, David is praying that their own wicked devices would uh, turn on them and, and cause them to be uh, harmed and cause them to be caught in that same net that they have laid for him. Verse 9, he, he says, in the midst of all this, you know, he talks about, and my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. So he talks about the joy that he finds in the Lord, even in, in the midst of all this persecution. And, uh, and so that is, you know, true that as a Christian, even though we're going through hard times, we can still find joy in the Lord and rejoice in his salvation. And that's what David did. Uh, verse 10, he talks about how, uh, God deliver us the poor um, from those that are too strong for him. Uh, and so you have this idea of the oppression of the poor and the needy, that those that are powerful in this world often persecute those that are 
you know, helpless and and poor and and uh, down at the bottom of society, uh, the powerful abuse those that are are weak and poor, and and so he's talking about how God is the deliverer of the poor and the powerless. And in this particular instance, if this was when David was being pursued by Saul, I mean, David was kind of powerless. Saul was the king. Saul had all the power. And so David probably did feel helpless and poor and powerless. Uh, Even though David had been anointed king, he had not taken the office yet. Saul was still king. And so, you know, David probably sees this not just as a battle between good and evil, but between those in power and those that are powerless. Verse 11, he starts talking about the false witnesses and how they're not just persecuting him, uh, you know, not just pursuing him and trying to kill him, but they're also uh, slandering him. They're uh, raising false accusations against him. They're charging him with things that he didn't do. Uh, and so we talked a little bit about this earlier, but, you know, Satan is the accuser and uh, he slanders and accuses God's people. And so that's what David is having to endure, these false accusations. And, and we see this um, throughout the Psalms. We've talked about this in previous episodes where David had to endure these um, malicious words and slanders, uh, slandering speech from his enemies. And I wanted to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, a pack of dogs tearing their prey is nothing compared with a set of malicious gossips mauling the reputation of a worthy man. And, you know, we, uh, the Bible's pretty clear that our words uh, matter and that they are, uh, that our tongue is a powerful member of our body. And, you know, there's that old saying that uh, children used to cite, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But that's not really true. Words can hurt people. And they can uh, really cause a lot of damage. And if someone says something hurtful to you, you may remember it for years afterwards. Uh, and it really may cause you a lot of psychological and emotional damage. And so we do need to be careful with our words. And, and words can hurt people. And these words were, um, were, hurting, uh, were hurting David because he was having to endure these false accusations these lies. Uh, people were lying about him. And that is very painful. It's one thing if what they're saying about you is true, but it's another thing if they're spreading lies about you and then other people are believing it and it's not even something that really happened. That, that is a very uh, painful thing and, and David knew what that was like. In verses 12 through 15, he talks about how his enemies would not extend the same courtesy to him that he extended to them. He said when they were sick, he would humble himself and and pray and he would, you know, sincerely be concerned about these people that were were sick and and having a hard time. But he said they would not do the the same thing for him. He said but when he was in adversity, they would rejoice and gather gather themselves together against him. And so they did not uh, treat David like he treated them. Verse 16, he calls these people hypocritical mockers. Uh, Other translations 
uh, translated ungodly. So these were ungodly people who were mocking him and they were hypocritical because they were not, uh, you know, there was no, they had no integrity. Uh, they were just out for selfish gain. Um, verse 17, David feels exasperated and he asked the Lord, how long will you look on? Um, and so he, he wonders why is the Lord allowing this to happen? Why are his prayers uh, not being answered? And he asked God to rescue his soul from their destructions, uh, my darling from the lions. And so uh, it is a difficult place to be when you're being persecuted or you're going through hard times and you feel like the Lord is not answering and you feel helpless. And that's how David felt. And so he prays that God would rescue him uh, from all of this. Uh, that phrase, my darling, can be translated my precious life. So he's saying, rescue my soul from their, their destructions, my precious life from the lions. Um, the lions, you'll see that imagery used throughout the Psalms when David refers to his enemies. But also you see it in the New Testament. Uh, Peter calls Satan a lion. He, he describes Satan as a roaring lion who you know seeks whom he may devour. Uh, so these enemies are fierce. They're powerful. These are not uh, small uh, people. These are powerful people that are strong uh, like a lion that are trying to destroy him. But in, all, in the midst of all this, just like in verse uh, 9 where he talks about having joy, in verse 18 he says that he will give the Lord thanks in the great congregation and he will praise him among much people. And so, you know, the New Testament in, in First Thessalonians, it talks about in everything, give thanks. Well, David gave thanks in all circumstances. Uh, he, even though he was going through these hard times, he would still give thanks to the Lord. Verse 19, he prays uh, another prayer. He says, let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. And this, the second part of this verse is actually quoted in John uh, fifteen twenty five by Jesus. Uh, and so, uh, anytime that you know one of the Psalms is referenced or quoted in the New Testament, I try to bring that out because it helps us. I think sometimes to, it gives us a better understanding of the passage or a fuller understanding. Verse 21, he talks about how they opened their mouth wide against him. We've already talked about that, how they were slandering him. So again, they were, they were attacking him not just uh, physically, but they were attacking, the, attacking David with their words. And then verse 23, I kind of consider verse 23 the theme of this psalm. Uh, and David prays to the Lord. He says, stir up thyself and awake to my judgment or um, to my vindication. A lot of times when you see that word judgment here in this psalm, it'll be translated vindicate or vindication. So stir up thyself and awake to my vindication, even unto my cause, my God and my Lord. So that's really the heart of this psalm is David is praying that God would act in his behalf and vindicate him and and give him victory over his enemies. And so I kind of see that as, as the central part or the theme of this uh, psalm. Verse 24, he says, judge me, O Lord my God, or again, vindicate me, 
O Lord my God, according to thy righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. So vindicate me because I've been mistreated, I'm innocent, they're spreading lies about me, they're persecuting me. And so David has a desire for not just to be delivered from the situation, but he has a desire for justice to be done here, for the bad people to lose and for the good people to win. Uh, He sees it as unfair that these people are getting away with this. It bothers him, his sense of, um, in his moral being, he he knows something isn't right here. These people should not be getting away with this. And so he's asking God to intervene and to, to vindicate him and set things right here. All right, verse 25, he's basically saying, don't let them win. You know, he says, let them not say in their hearts, ah, so would we have it. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. He doesn't want them to win. He, he's, he's asking God, don't let them get away with this. Don't let them beat me. Don't let them win. Uh, because David doesn't want to see that, not just for selfish reasons, but just for the sake of justice. He sees it again as, as unfair that this is happening. And he doesn't want the bad people to win. Verse 26, he prays again concerning his enemies. He says, let them be ashamed and brought to confusion or to uh, mutual confusion. Uh, He says, together that rejoice at my hurt, let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Um, The NIV says, may all who gloat over my distress be put to shame and confusion. May all who exalt themselves over me be clothed with shame and disgrace. I think it's important to remember, like I said earlier, that David was anointed uh, king probably at this point. I mean, I'm assuming that if this is when Saul was chasing him. And so you can see why David is seeing this as such an unfair situation. He's supposed to be on the throne. He's supposed to be king. And instead, he's being pursued by uh, Saul. And all these unfair things are happening. It doesn't make sense to David. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand why God is allowing this to happen. So this was a real test for David's faith, as it would be for anybody. Uh, when we go through hard times, it's often time. It's oftentimes hard to understand what's happening, or why God's allowing it to happen. And so David was really being tested here, as he waited to take the throne. All right. Um, verse 27, he, he says, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So he, he wanted to reward those that were helping him, those that were on his side. And as you read the story of David, there were people that came along to help him and support him. And so he wanted God's blessing upon those that favored his righteous cause. And then he always remembered that the Lord was to be magnified. The Lord was to be praised. He said, let the Lord be magnified, which had pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. When I read that verse, it reminds me of that verse in 3 John, uh, verse 2, where it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. You know, I think sometimes as Christians, we tend to think, maybe wrongly that God just wants us to be miserable and it's just all persecution and misery and hardship. And while that's definitely part of the Christian life, 
you know, I'm against this, the, the prosperity preachers that make it sound like you won't ever have persecution and you won't ever have hard times because we know that's unbiblical. The Bible says we will be persecuted. We will have difficult times. But we can kind of get a complex sometimes and think we're just supposed to be miserable. But God does desire to bless us. He does desire uh, us to prosper and be in good health. And uh, he does want us to have joy and and peace. And so I think we have to have a balance. We need to realize, yes, there will be persecution and there will be hard times, but it's not all hard times. It's not all misery. It's uh, There's joy, there's blessing, and there's prosperity at times. And so you have to take the good with the bad. But this verse here seems to indicate that God does desire the uh, prosperity of his servant. And then in verse 28, uh, you have a contrast between the tongues of David's enemies who are lashing out at him and slandering him, and David's tongue. He says, and my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. So while David's enemies are using their tongues for evil to slander him, David says he's going to use his tongue to talk about the righteousness of God and to praise God. And so there's quite a contrast there between those two. So in conclusion, in Psalm 35, we have a a prayer of David against his enemies, asking God for help to deliver him against this persecution and these ungodly foes. And I read that at the beginning of this episode about how this psalm was read in the First Continental Congress in the United States of America and as they were facing the British Empire and the Revolutionary War was about to begin and they were seeking independence. And, you know, in our day, we have a multitude of problem, problems in our country and we're surrounded by ungodly people. We're surrounded by enemies. We're surrounded by persecution. And so I feel like this psalm is as timely as ever. And it's a psalm that we can go to and maybe receive help from it, just like David did, and just like the uh, early American colonists uh, found encouragement from it as well. Well, that's all I have for Psalm 35. I'm recording this on St. Patrick's Day, so I hope you had a happy St. Patrick's Day. And Easter is coming up in a few weeks, so I want to wish all of you a happy Easter as you celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I will close, like I usually do, with the uh, passage from Numbers chapter 6, the priestly benediction. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace.